Welcome to Full Scope, a podcast with two guys in their 20s, giving their perspective on the games that we love, the headlines in pop culture, and the meaning behind it all. I'm your host, Winsor Burns, while I'm my counterpart, Savon Morris. How's it going, man? How's it going? Hello. Hello. Look at my past life. Oh, look at my past life. Look at my past <laughs> They don't know about that. They don't know about that. They don't know. They don't know. <laughs> That's off the mic. <laughs> Everything's good, bro. <laughs> Yeah, but um, we have a lot of topics to get into into today as usual. First, first off, we're, we're definitely going to preview the um, the Deontay Wilder Wilder Tyson Fury um, third fight and just thoughts on on how this um, this trilogy will, will conclude. Also, a couple of um, NFL and college football topics, some new album reviews in the second half. We're going to do a review of Jackie Brown. Um, but to start off with um, Deontay Wilder Tyson Fury three and just the key X factors that will determine the winner. Um, this upcoming uh, fight on Saturday night for the WBC heavyweight title is highly anticipated. Um, Fury won their last fight with a devastating knockout, and the two were um, set to meet in July, but Fury and his camp contracted COVID. And, you know, Tyson Fury is known for just masterful and methodical performances. A Wilder has the instant power that can damage, you know, just any fighter, and both of them know what the other brings, and we should see a sharpened and improved Wilder with him having a new uh, trainer now. But, um, you know, with Tyson Fury just showing some of the best skills in the in the heavyweight boxing division as of now, and also um, with Wilder, you know, having a new trainer and, new, and a new approach to this fight, um, what are your thoughts on this third mega fight and just the key X factors for these two? You know, it's funny. Um, <laughs> his new trainer actually used to spar with uh, Tyson Fury, and then Tyson Fury definitely exactly. said that I used to knock you out, bro. Um, <laughs> but you know what? I think. The- <laughs> The biggest, the biggest thing is Kit has what Wilder learned in these these months is this is almost a year of training, having a new trainer, learning new mechanics. Can he consistently do those in the ring against Tyson Fury? I think that's the biggest, the biggest concern. Will he go back to what Tyson Fury said, the one trick pony? Will he go back to try to knock him out in one big punch? We know he has that power. We're looking at mechanics. Can he be a full overall uh, boxer? Can he be a good mm-hmm. defender? Can he move his feet? Can he not? Uh, when he, Once he gets tired, once he gets later in the rounds, can he continue those mechanics that he learned? I, I'm i in I'm in the middle. Well, it's, I'm in the middle. I think he will, I yeah, I think he will revert back know. to what he knows best, and that's his power, the right hand of, <laughs> right hand of the Dr. Doom. I think he'll go back to that, and I think Tyson Fury will look flawlessly. Just looking at him, he lost a bunch of weight. He's more fit. He looks good. I mean, he's a complete boxer. He's in a right mind state. So it's going to be tough for for Fury. I mean, it's going to be tough for Deontay Wilder to beat him with just a one-trick pony uh, power punch because we, he's play, he's up against a true boxer. We've seen that in the second fight against the you know instead of the first fight, because we knew Tyson Fury wasn't his full self in the first fight, but I don't know how he lived and got back up after that punch, because if I would have got hit by I, that... That still amazes me. I don't know how he, I don't know how you can come back from that. I was like, yeah, you can count me out. Um, uh, go ahead, say 10. I'm done. I'm yeah, done. I'm, I'm, I'm good. I got my check. <laughs> I got my check. I'm good. Headlines. Tyson I'm good. Said, I got my check. <laughs> <laughs> but, but but you know it's interesting because like I, I, I saw a quote that um I, I saw something that Bernard Hopkins was talking about with, with just his thoughts on the fight and he essentially was saying that with Tyson Fury like there's you know he 
obviously like, like this is a big fight, but he really doesn't have to change as much because he won the last fight. He can, he can go like with just expand on what he did in the second fight. Then water, he has to have a different approach. Like, do you think sometimes that can be like the benefit of a fighter who just won the last fight is that, you know, even though they have to stay focused, they, they know what they did in the last fight and they can just try to like keep doing that and build onto that as the, you know, they're trying to just, you know, counter what the opponent is doing. You know, I, I, in my point of view, I think it's a, it should be a bit different. I think it's harder for a mm. fighter to feel like, okay, what I did in the second fight or the first fight or whatever fight it was, whatever trilogy or number they're on, I feel like you have to improve yeah. and have a different uh, uh, game game plan because now this guy has an opportunity to change his game plan. We're going to see, when you've seen videos, I know everybody, like myself, I'm still kind of up in the air if he will stay with his mechanics. What if Deontay Wilder stays with the mechanics and now you're going against a true boxer with power? So it's a Mike Tyson can mix with Muhammad Ali, mixed with Godzilla. So now you're fighting a true boxer with the power. Now what's your game plan? To say that, oh, he's not, he's going to get tired. He's going to get off his mechanics. I'm just going to outbox him, outscore him. You have to have a backup plan after your, after your backup plan, especially when it comes to Deontay mm-hmm. Wilder, if he can stay with his mechanics. So I think it's it's harder for a fighter to stick to the same game plan in, in spite of the other fighter having an opportunity to change what he did or, you know, you know approach it a little differently. So I think, in, in, my, in, my, in my opinion, I think Tyson Fury should change his game plan to, to – to go for the worst. So I, if I'm him, I'm thinking, okay, Deontay Wilder is going to be full of his mechanics. But if he doesn't, okay, I know then I know what to do to get to beat him and to, to eventually knock him out and, and get and get on his horses. But you always go in with a different game plan because it's hard to beat a person twice. It's hard to beat a football it team is. twice. It's hard to beat a sport. It's hard to beat anybody twice. So yeah. go in with a new game plan and then have it in the back of your mind. If he if the game plan doesn't go as well, then now, okay, now he's back to the old Deontay Wilder. Now I know how to beat him. So, mm-hmm. who's who's gonna win twice? Who, who do you got? I'm giving the edge to Fury. I'm, I'm I think Tyson Fury is gonna win it. I don't think it's gonna be a knockout this time. I I do think Deontay Wilder will stick to his mechanics. I don't think he gets lucky yeah. enough to get a, a good punch on Tyson Fury. I think he's he's too good right now. He's in the right mind state. He's not anything. Mm-hmm. He doesn't have any many distractions. You can tell when a fighter's in the right mind yeah. state too. And, and, and he'll definitely... tell you the first fight he was just getting back into boxing. He was doing all these things. Yeah. He was still in depression mode. The second fight, you can see him getting back to that. And then now, third fight, he looks good. The guy looks good. He doesn't look he sloppy. Does. You know, he looked sloppy the first one. Second one, he could look kind of look kind of sloppy. But this one, I saw him. Mm-hmm. <laughs> some of the videos, him warming up and him sparring, like yeah. Yeah, Tay, you better come with it, brother. <laughs> you better come, better come prepared, Saturday night. It was good, man. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And, and, and another thing before we before we uh, move on, Manny Pacquiao he announced his retirement this past um, Tuesday night, and you know, obviously, like one of the the greatest boxers ever, the only eight division champion in boxing history. Um, what are just kind of your thoughts on on the conclusion of his career, and just just some of the things you remember about his career? Because obviously, like. We, the last time we talked about him, we were wondering if he was going to keep going on, but it seems as though like he's at that point where he's kind of satisfied with with um, how his career. You know, played I wanted out. to tag you in that because I think we we talked about it a couple times where it was like yeah. he's just fighting for his country now. He's fighting for different other reasons to be you know be successful in boxing. I think once you 
when you're a true boxer and you realize I'm not fighting for the for the love of the game anymore, then it, you kind of you, you know lose the passion for it. I think he came to the conclusion like, okay. But now, when you think of Manny Pacquiao, you think of a guy who doesn't give up. He's relentless. He he's going to take over the mm-hmm. uh, the matches. He's going to take the game to you. He's not going to wait for you. He reminds me of you know prime Oscar De La Hoya, prime Sugar Sugar Ring Rose, yes. like these guys who take it to you and don't wait. They're not going to be – I mean, the fence is in boxing, but I think that's the type of guy who takes it to you. You're going to have to beat him. You're going to have to have a great defense. You're going to have to be, <laughs> be on your P's and Q's because he's not going to let up. Manny Pacquiao is definitely one of the greatest boxers who ever stepped foot in there. And I think his career, even when at the tail of him losing a couple, I think it doesn't take away from the legacy he's had. And this little sprawling mm. guy – from freaking <laughs> man, every, I know people used to hate. Like, okay, I'm fighting this Pacquiao. I'm in the corner, like, oh, this dude doesn't let up. This dude is like on me. Like, what do we do? Yeah, like, do like take away. He's taking away the angles from you. He's walking it down. He has the jab. He has the quickness. He has a defense to counter. Like, it's just mini Pacquiao had that whole package, and um, and we yes. see, you know, a couple a couple losses. I, I think the I think people don't give. Um, Mayweather, his dues, because Manny Pacquiao fought a great fight against him. It just Mayweather, just a good defender, man. The guy, excellent, excellent. defender. I mean, it, it, his defense is just like impeccable. Like, 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 like I, you, you see the videos, like the highlight reels of just all the defense mechanisms mechanisms he's had over his career, and it's just it's it's as good as it yeah, gets. Yeah, and, and going against a fighter like Manny Pacquiao, Manny Pacquiao was flawless in that fight. If you really look at it. It's just money Mayweather mm-hmm. is so much better. <laughs> but so yeah, when you think of Manny Pacquiao, man, you think of this sprawly young, this short guy coming at you, but he has a power but mm-hmm. his country's all but always behind him. And man, that's what you're gonna, you know, yeah. think about when you think of Manny Pacquiao. Absolutely. Um and after listening to NFL, um, just and thoughts on Tampa Bay's win versus the Patriots and, and New England also keeping it close. Um, this past Sunday night, the Bucks rallied to a 1917 victory uh, with Ryan Suckup hitting a, a winning 48-yard field goal late in the fourth quarter. Brady was 22 of 43 for 269 yards with no touchdowns. Um, that had an extremely pivotal and decisive fourth quarter drive. Uh, also broke Drew Brees' career passing yardage. The, um, the the Patriots did still have a chance to win, but you know Nick Folk's 56-yard uh, field goal you know, try hit the left upright with less than a minute to play. But what are your thoughts on this, you know, tight win for Tampa Bay and also just how competitive New England was in this loss? Because before, like, this game, we both, like, wrote this game off. Like, we didn't think it was going to be very competitive. But it turned out to be, like, a really thrilling game. You know what? Somebody got paid. Tom Brady felt bad for him. He didn't want to throw it. You know, touchdowns. Brock didn't make the trip. Show mercy. It's a lot of (laughs) – no, I'm joking. Uh, You – you just look <laughs> a lot of factors. <laughs> I think one of the biggest factors for Tampa Bay, I think, even though they, you know, not, didn't allow over, uh, you know, 14 points, you look at their secondary with Richard Sherman in there, they're still banged up, got a lot of guys out. And you, the offense looked like they still made it all, like the, the, most of the game, to be honest. They didn't look fluent. The running game wasn't really there. Yeah. Um, they were running a cover two, two high safety all this game to take over to, to stop the, the big big plays over the top. So it really, they were, you know, who, who's better to game plan against Tom Brady than Bill Belichick and everybody at the Patriots? So exactly. they know um, Tom Brady's strengths, his weaknesses. So they're going to exploit those weaknesses. 
Tom likes to get guys deep, likes to get people in the middle of the field, like the crossing. So they play a lot of cover two, a lot of men. Um, it's always called cover one zone, or you got two men over the top. Everybody's up there manning up. So the running game is not working. Tom Brady can't do the play action. So great job for the Patriots defense. Offense still look mm, whatever. Jones is still coming into his own, mm-hmm. but I think. It's, that's the thing. You, you're seeing the development of Jones. Like, like this was the game where I think more people saw it, but it's still going to take some some more weeks and some more reps for him to. Yeah, he's know, not going to be a wild guy. He's not a wild factor guy, especially if he doesn't have these big wide no. receivers. He's a guy who's going to who's going to manage the game and, and get takes what the defense gives him, and that's what type of quarterback he was. We got kind of spoiled seeing him throw these big touchdowns, all this stuff. We get the offensive line he had with Alabama, exactly. the wide receivers, Devontae Freeman. We already know the list of names that he had. And now you get to the NFL <laughs> is a bit different. Now he's getting to accumulate to the game. And when you're a time manager, true, true and true, it's going to take some time for you to have those mm-hmm. big throws. It's going to be like some breakup in the defense, somebody's miscommunication for him to get the big, the big, you know, big throw and a big wild play. But we've seen we've seen what he can yeah. do. Absolutely. Um, and interesting to the Chargers three and one start and just the, the potential they have. Um, you know, this past Monday night, the Chargers were able to have a 14 point win at home. And they also had a 21 nothing halftime lead. And, you know, the Raiders came into this game with an average of 33.3 points per game and over the first three weeks. Um, but the Chargers early lead just, you know, ended up being too, uh, you know, uh, too, too overwhelming mm-hmm. to overcome, you know, but. In terms of this win, also just the start they got off to, because they, you know, they also were able to beat the Chiefs um, and had a very, you know, tight loss to, to Dallas. Um, what are your thoughts on the start from LA and just how they can build on this with um, Justin Herbert's uh, essential? Number one in AFC West, number one in your hearts. No, I'm I'm surprised, man. <laughs> number one in all of your hearts. Number one in all Justin your hearts. Justin Herbert, man. Um, once I had to go back and look at film from him from. Um, I believe it was Oregon, if I'm not mistaken. I had to go Oregon, back and yeah. look at film on him, and I was like, just to see what's – I mean, he didn't – he had good success last year. I think they didn't have the, the right pieces, and, and I think they got that with a couple linebackers. Um, you know, Derwin James is back. They got a – you know, Eckler's is going further. But I looked at him. He throws the ball with, eff, with just effortless, effortless hour. And he has this this ability yeah. to you know, when he is not even trying to throw it hard or throw it deep, it's just like effortless. You ever see his throwing motion? It's one of it's, it's a beauty. Big tall guy, slender guy, it's amazing. Can extend plays. Got a you know, big arm, good precision, and it's showing when he's once he gets the blocking that he needs. And I think Justin Herbert is a is a franchise guy. I think that's why they drafted him high. I think that's why they got him. And now you're seeing what it can do, what he can do, what the team can do once they get the right pieces. Defense looks so good, not allowing over 200 passing yards a game. They're number eighth in the NFL. Actually, let me let me take that back. They're number fourth in the NFL in, pass, in allowing pass, only 207. Haven't given up the, the big points. Defense looks good. Derwin James is leading that defense. Joey Boza. I mean, Nick Boza, mm-hmm. excuse me. No, it's, it's Joey. Nick. It is Joey. It is Joey. Big bro. Yeah, Nick Bosa is oh, okay. at um, okay. the 49ers. Man, the brothers. Yeah. See, you, 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 you got you to be able to distinguish the brothers in the NFL because we yeah, even got the Kelsey the nose, brothers. Man. Like, it's just so so. <laughs> but Joey Bosa, uh, big bro, and he's, he looks good. He's healthy. The defense looks good. When you're top top five ranked and in, in in not allowed over 200 passing yards a game and your running game looks good, 16th in the NFL, and then the passing game is 8th in the NFL, they look good. 
They lost to a good Dallas team. Dallas looks yes. good this year, but three and one, Justin Herbert, make some believers, man. Go ahead and make some believers. You got me. You, you, you like the bandwagon is just over. It's, it's like my oh, Luca bandwagon. Oh, okay. It's actually like my, my, my Luca. That's, that's really <laughs> it's my Luca bandwagon. Come on. You wasn't high on Justin. I mean, you've always been high on Luca. Okay, I'll give you that. But. I've always been hard on Luca. No, I'm saying the equivalent of 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 your bandwagon with Justin is the equivalent of my bandwagon with Luca because Luca's gonna be the best player of all time. Talking about football, I got it's full <laughs> scope. It's full the, the big. <laughs> well, how much he paying you, Will? How much um, he paying you? <laughs> hey, I can't, I can't say it on air. I can't say it. On air. <laughs> Come on, Wellington. <laughs> um, but, but getting to most intriguing week five, um, week five in, in the NFL um, in terms of which game is going to stand out the most. Like, and we were just talking about this team. I think the Browns and Chargers are a really fascinating game because you, you look at what the Browns have been able to do with, with stopping the run, and then on the other side, they have a very, a very good rushing attack. Uh, they're three and one. Um, Baker Mayfield is is you know battling with an injury right now, but is you know still expected to play and. With the Chargers, just just seeing two like upstart AFC teams really show like who can be the the the, the elite going forward. I think it's going to be a fascinating matchup. But in terms of Week Five matchups, um, which which kind of which one in particular stands out to you? Right, right? now, I have Green Bay Packers and the Bengals, man. And then just to think, the Bengals are three and one last year. That's crazy. You know, the uh, big guy goes down, running game goes down, everything just ah uh, okay, Joey. Joe is gone. Now these guys three and one. You get Justin Jefferson in the draft. You get a couple pieces. Now he gets to play against the goat. One of, well, one of the goats. And, one of the goats. And you get to see what a high power offense looks like. And our defense is getting better. Our secondary is getting better at three or four takeaways last last week. So let's see if you know Joe can exploit our secondary. Hope he doesn't. Uh, <laughs> But I think it's going to be a really good game. I think, you know, he's going to learn a lot from this game. Definitely, yeah. Um, in terms of uh, now getting into just college football and just also thoughts on Georgia's, you know, commanding win in the blowout versus Arkansas. I mean, I, I got to stop picking most intriguing games because every game <laughs> I pick, last day I turn out to be bad games. Like, the Georgia-Arkansas, man, that, that one should be interesting, 37 <laughs> <laughs> um, but 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 in terms of just the dominance Georgia was able to to, to show in this in this game, you know them now being five and zero, also having a twenty one zero lead in the first quarter, despite playing without um, quarterback J T. Daniels. Just what are your thoughts on the clear cut powerhouse? You know they're showing they they are to be so far in this season um, with this blowout win. It's the defense, man. Defense wins championships. Yeah. This has been one of the best Georgia defenses they had in the past five or seven years. They give. They don't give up points. They don't give up yardage. They 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 make big plays. They have a lot of takeaways, and it's and they always get yeah. their guys in the 20, 20 in the goal line or the 20, 25, 30, 35 of the opposing teams of uh, going in. It's like they get takeaways. They give their team the offense opportunities to go and score and to get points on the board. Their defense is strong. I think they still have the number one defense. I haven't checked. Um, you know, they update every <laughs> every other other day. But I think last time I checked, yeah. they have the every day that it's an update. <laughs> one defense in in the NCAA, and that's crazy. I don't remember mm-hmm. the last time uh, SEC team probably two three. No, no, no. I say three four years ago. Um, it's always top five, but I can't remember the last time Georgia 
had the top defense in the SEC as long and, and, and as well as the NCAA. So it's crazy, man. This is the first year I'm yeah. super scared of Georgia and their defense and what they do, man. They're for real. Super, oh, oh yeah, oh yeah, they're real deal. When, they're once real. I saw what they did to Clemson and then they give that many points yeah. for not having starters, I was like, oh yeah, Georgia's mm-hmm. something different. Yeah, they're different this year. Yeah, they, they ate something. It's, it's it's Georgia, Alabama. I mean, that may be the the eventual. I mean, in terms of just, just who's like the, the top two teams that are like that impressive. Like they have been at at the top of that pyramid. Yes. And I and I think it's it's been a hit and miss some years with Georgia. We always know Alabama solidified, even with the 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 quarterback situation being up in the air. Now we see Bryce Jones having his success and having his struggles or whatever. Yeah. yeah. But it's always Alabama solidified. They're number one, and Georgia is is there. And then sometimes they lose to Florida or they lose a game that's like what? And now we know they're yeah. really the real deal this year. It's going to be fun. Mm-hmm. The SEC championship is going to be fun. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, and now getting into most intriguing week six game in college football, um, one that really stands out early, and it, and it is an early one, is Oklahoma, yeah. Texas, um, with you know both of these teams being nationally ranked with um, first place in the Big 12 on the line. You know, Spencer Rattler in Oklahoma, they've got a 13-game winning streak. Texas and uh, Big 12 rushing mm-hmm. leader uh, John Ro- uh, uh, Robinson have scored 160 points while winning three in a row since a loss at Arkansas. And, and I think that is definitely going to be an early fascinating matchup yeah. for, for week six. But but to you, kind of like what is your most intriguing uh, week six? Game? I have to go Georgia and Auburn. It's an SEC game. I think yeah. it's big for both of these guys. One is four to one. Auburn's coming off a big Auburn's win. Auburn's coming out a big win. They're four and one. They have momentum. And Georgia is the big dogs, literally the big dogs at five and oh. This is going to see what Georgia's all about. We've seen Georgia just take care of Arkansas. We see Alabama take care of Ole Miss, and now Auburn is like, okay, if we can if we can play with Georgia, then we can play with Alabama. And I think both I think Auburn can play with Georgia. It's just going to be interesting what the, if, if 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 JT's going to be back and what this offense does. But I know the defense is going to be ready. Woo, boy, boy, boy! I'm telling you, this is going to be a good game. I'm it's be a good I'm game. ready to see if Bo Nix is going to be Bo Nix. Uh oh, Bo! This is your. Is he gonna show out? Is he gonna he show has out? To. <laughs> He's got to. There's no other choice. <laughs> I think losing to BYU is kind of, mm, but this is your opportunity. Yeah. Not BYU. I'm sorry, Penn State. It's the blue keeps getting me, Wellington. The blue State. is sorry. The blue, the brothers, the blues brothers. <laughs> no, I'm that was pretty good. Hey, what? Hey, can we add a hand clap, Reese? Two, two point. That's only that's only two points. You've got like sixty-seven. No, I think Georgia and Auburn's are, this game is going to be really good. If Auburn can do an upset, it's going to be interesting how the top five is going to look and how then they have everybody. Have, that's going to shake things up a lot. It's going to shake some things up, uh, <laughs> and everybody got to win out from now on, especially Georgia. Because yeah. they still have um, uh, Florida, they still have LSU, they still have some other teams that are looking to to beat. And Florida's coming off a loss uh, to Kentucky. You had to say that. Well, is it okay? I just, I mean, it it, it happened. Like, <laughs> I don't want to talk about that game. I... All right, man. I'm not. I'm not going to talk about that. What what Drake said? I was I was I was done. I, I was I was I was yeah. I'm I'm upset. Q in the Drake. <laughs> I'm upset, bro. Like I really am upset about the game. But 
But yeah, that's I'm just I'm just gonna digress now before I even continue. That's that's a digression. <laughs> Certain topics Savon is like Wellington I'm passing, don't even bring it yeah, up. Yeah, man, it's gonna get me and we're gonna be here for four hours and we'll be talking about the same thing. Yeah, trigger. What was Janea Aiko? I'm kidding. Yeah, Janae Aiko, I'm triggered. I'm triggered. We're mentioning so many songs. Yeah, you see. <laughs> I feel like you 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 started it well into with the blues brother, so now I gotta get the puns. The blues brothers, they just go down there on a roll. But but now getting into our album reviews, and to start off with um, Don Tolliver's latest uh, "Life of a Don," and, and in his latest album, you know, he really highlights his his R and B skills and all of you know all of the beats in here just you know contain smooth vibes, a great pace, and, and hazy feels. Um, even with features like Travis Scott and Baby Keem, you know, he still relies on sounds that that fit and don't force anything but what were your thoughts on this new album from from don Tolliver and just how he seems to be really comfortable with um who he is as an artist you know what i just i have one word i like it well no i mean two words i like it three it's, words oh my gosh like, <laughs> three words <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> <that's>, <laughs> one word i, I tried it. to do no, that <laughs> i tried to say that one it's, you get on my back um, <laughs> no, I like it. I, I like this, you know. Yes, I once like again, Wellington, you do give me opportunities to listen to new music. I've heard of Don Tolliver, but I never really, you know, dived into an album exactly. So I never really yeah. dove into it. I always heard, like, when I, you know, looking for beats, I would say, Oh, Don Tolliver, top beat. I don't know who you are. Um, <laughs> is he? I, I think he's from the West. I never Coast. reviewed one of your albums on my podcast. <laughs> You're not officially. <laughs> I think he's from the West Coast. I think he he's has that same feel as Blix and, and all these other guys and uh, Bino. Um, but I like it. You know, I didn't think it was a bad. I think it was. I think it was a good album. I like it. I don't have any like. Eh, I like it. Compared to Baby, because a lot of people are comparing it to Baby Kings, the melodic the, the melodic blue light. Like, which one do you prefer more between those two albums? <laughs> this one. <laughs> This one, yeah. yeah. It was, I mean, I would say this it one. It was too. more closer to my ear. What music. you usually hear? Yes, and yes. I, I've said that with Baby Keem. I I feel like it's it's a, a different pace, a different taste of music. It's not bad, but it's a different taste. You're not gonna be you don't want it all the time. It's like it's like one of those like flavors or flavor ice cream. You have a hot hot like sherbet ice. Sherbet's good, but you don't want it all the time. Yeah. You be like. It's like sure on a random Saturday afternoon. Yeah, I'll random, sure, well, sure. well, that was very specific. Random Saturday afternoon, <laughs> midday. <laughs> I was thinking of a random day. I was thinking of a random day. I couldn't pick a weekday. I couldn't pick a weekday. Who's getting ice cream on a weekday? <laughs> Me. <laughs> All right. Yeah, okay. Like, All right. But no, my co-host gets <laughs> do it. Do it. Do it. Do I feel it. like you judged me right there, bro. I feel like you just judged me. He's like, okay. <laughs> on a weekday. We, both of us are on one today. Taking this one out. <laughs> oh man. But, but but I mean, in, in, in terms of, um, and, and that's the thing, like, I feel as though this is an album I really like, um, a lot of good songs on here, but it may not be one that, I don't, I don't think it's a, it's a top tier album, but I, but I do appreciate the albums that, you know, aren't going to like immediately blow you away, but there's still ones where you can, there's a, you know, a few songs or several songs that you'll go back to and appreciate what this artist is, because 
Don Tolliver, he is that type of artist where I feel as though he's not going to like go out of his comfort zone. But I, th- I do feel like there were a couple of songs on here compared to some of his past projects where he was kind of able to just deep, just go through different zones and modes of still sounding versatile and not just kind of sticking with the same pattern. And I feel like the difference between this and, me- and Baby Keem was there were some points where it felt as though it kind of dragged. I didn't really feel that with this project. Yeah, and it, you know, it, de- it definitely sound like um, some... Travis Scott type vibes. Um, and I think that's why. Which I know you're not a fan. Yeah, of. Nah, <laughs> I'm not really a fan. I like. I probably like four songs. That's just been generous of Travis Scott. That's antidote. That will always be my favorite Travis Scott. And uh, that antidote. Hey, hurry! <laughs> yeah, I don't know about Travis, but everything else. <laughs> everything else, I'm not a fan of Travis Scott at all. But I mean, I mean, that's what it reminded me of. Just like that. I don't know, the sound, and they, they rely most of on the m- mixing quality to kind of bring the song out instead of letting the lyrics, because, I mean, Travis Scott is not very lyrical. Don Tolliver is not very lyrical in my eyes. I mean, Baby Keem is, Baby Keem got the lyric, I mean, the lyricism, but I don't know, it's just not my cup of tea. I like it, but I don't like it, if that makes sense. Like, I won't, I won't go back and revisit this. Album. In between. Yeah, I won't go back and revisit it. Um, and now interesting to, to Meek Mill's uh, Expensive Pain uh, album and, and this in his latest fifth album, you know, there's uh, th- there's a different focus and energy um, than we're used to, to seeing from him. Like he does show that he that he has a collective sense of gratitude for, you know, still being here and, and delivering um, aesthetic flows and some self-aware tracks and songs like um, Cold Hearted 3, Love Train and Ride For You with Kalani. And in a track like Love Money, he, l- he laments against the corrosive effects of, of success. And, and to me, like he, he's, you know, Projects like Dreams and Nightmares, Championships, I don't think like this was at that that level. It wasn't an album that I, I'll, I'll revisit a lot. I do think there were some highlights on here, but it just it was the type of album where I felt as though it was just it, it was a decent project, but definitely not one that I would you know go back and revisit a lot. But to you, kind of like what were your thoughts on this album and just where he's at in his career as of now? This album sounded like he wanted to sound like everybody else. He wanted to. Yeah. It was just like it sounded like a watered down version of himself. Yeah, like give me that. And then one song he was like doing all auto tunes. I was like, bro, Meek, that's not you, bro. Meek, I'm used to. You no, know, I I grew up. Well, I sort of kind of grew up in an era where like DMX and all these guys yelling in a microphone. Meek Mill, come on, bro. Like I feel like you trying to progress or do something different, but like Meek, you're not Lil Baby. You're not Young Thug. You're no. not that type of, you are actual rapper. You're actual, you have bars and you have, you have, you're a lyricist. I feel like Meat Mill's a lyricist in my eyes. I think he has bars and I think he's a lyricist. But this, bro, what? Huh? I was like, this ain't Meat no. Mill. This ain't it, bro. What do you? It, it was, even the intro, like, wasn't a vintage, no. like, really wasn't that vintage, vintage of an intro. No, it was not. This was, I, I mean, I love the cover art. That, that was that yeah. was what got me. I was like, oh, okay, Meek Mill dropped something. Yeah, creative. it was very creative. Thought it was different. And then the music definitely was different. <laughs> <laughs> Not, Not in a good, a good way. way. <laughs> but now this album, yeah, yeah, this is something I won't revisit. And the song I was talking about, they Oh My Soul, like he came in with just like auto-tunes, like, oh. That's not what I'm used to. Even when J. Cole did it, like his different um, engineering production or whatever for his songs, his wasn't like auto-tuning, auto-tuning. It had a little auto-tunes on it just to, to bring out the vocals a little bit. 
But this was like. It's <laughs> like, man, come on. Like, where, where are we going with this? <laughs> what is that? Uh, hold up, wait a minute. Y'all thought I was finished? Like, bro, come on. That's the meek I'm used to. Like, That's the meek I know. That's the meek I know. I don't know who this guy Goodness. is. This guy. <laughs> only person who could do that who's a rapper is Lil Wayne, bro. The only person who can do it, who gets away with it. And that's the thing. Like, I also feel as though, like, with with um with artists that aren't like the the type that will just be for like in terms in terms of like being remembered in a way that's just like it transcends generations, and they're just always going to be like talked about and considered in terms of like the greatest. I feel as though there's a point in every artist's career where they get to this point where it's just or, or to the stage where it's 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 a watered down version of themselves. They can't be at the peak that they once were. They can't stay there. Like, do you think? Sometimes the longevity and um, kind of being able to stay consistent is what, you know, just differentiates the greats from those that just aren't at that level or, or can't stay at that level. I yeah, say. I think it just depends on what the artist is and, <clears throat> excuse me, and, and on what the artist did beforehand, like before they got to the peak and after or when they got to before yeah. the peak and during the peak that sets them up for the, the drop off. And every artist drops off. Even Drake dropped off. Even Kimmy dropped off. J. Cole dropped off. When they leave that gap where they don't drop music for a while, that gives opportunity for new artists to sprout. And then what are you going to do to get back to that peak? I think Drake dropped, um, it was after, um, if you're reading this it's too late, Views. And then he Views, dropped yeah. another project, before, More, more life. life. So he kept, after that, he had a little gap before more, more Life. And then he dropped More Life. Then he started dropping again. And then he started dropping singles. He was on people's singles. And then he got back. Constantly exactly. active. That's the difference. That's the difference. We talked about a lot of art. I mean, after one of your most commercially successful albums and views, most artists would not drop a, a 22 song playlist the year after. And, and he's the only, like he's one of the rare artists that would actually do something like that. Like that was twenty two songs is essentially an album, but still to like be that active after a year after like one of your most commercially out successful albums is, is that's crazy. how you stay relevant. That's how you stay relevant, yeah. relevant. And you, a lot of people say, well, what about Kendrick? Kendrick stopped dropping, and he's been he's still considered one of the top of this decade. And you know why is that? Yeah. Kendrick got an entire uh, community behind him. And then people talk for him. Nobody talks for Drake. Mm-hmm. Drake talks for himself. Who talks? Who talks for Drake? You give me one person who Nobody. talks for Drake. Nobody <laughs> talks. Not even Chubb. Not even Chubb. No, talks for Chubb Trump. just looks <laughs> just there, bro. Chubb is there half the time, thinking in his head like, "I wish somebody would touch him. I wish. Exactly. I wish. Just try him. Try Nobody him once." Nobody <laughs> talks for Drake. Drake does all his talking, but with Kendrick, Kendrick don't talk, bro. Everybody, mm. the whole cop, they be talking for uh for Kendrick. Everybody in the industry be talking like, yeah. nah, Kendrick, that Kendrick's still that guy. He just he just chilling right now. Kendrick didn't even say he was gonna be at the Super Bowl halftime show. Somebody else right. was for him. Kendrick, Kendrick yeah, didn't announce Kendrick that. Kendrick don't talk. J. Cole don't <laughs> talk. People talk for J. Cole. So when it comes to it's different yep. between different artists. Drake understands I don't need nobody to talk for me. I'm gonna talk for me and I'm gonna do keep moving the way I am. That's how why Drake is so smart, and he goes a- across different spectrums. So it's, it depends on what type of artist you are. For Meat Mill, Meat Mill is a hip hop mm-hmm. rapper, right? 
just playing hip hop rapper. He can't do reggae. He can't do dancehall. He can't do pop. He can't mm-hmm. do those things. We see him try to do auto tunes, and you sound, and <laughs> <laughs> he can't do it. So for him, he should have been looking. At, and then he went to jail. I mean that that goes into it as well because you now you're. I mean, people are rocking with you, but your music, they don't, only rock, they don't rock with the new music, they rock with your own music. And they stand outside of you, hold on, wait a minute, y'all thought I was finished in, in front of the jail and the, the streets, whatever. But for him, it's, it's different how he approached it when he was at his peak. He didn't set himself up yeah. for the down. Everybody drops. Everybody's going to drop. That's what music is. Everybody's going to be at the top, and they're going to drop off. Like the baby, his drop off was just... <laughs> the. <laughs> <laughs> It's a difference I've been dropping. <laughs> <laughs> Leave the baby alone. Don't, uh, what what David Chappelle said? Don't abort the baby. <laughs> Yo, David Chappelle. David Chappelle's crazy. David Chappelle saw the pocket video, but everybody drops. It's oh. how you prepare for the drop and understanding you're going to yep. do that, and then you, you you make moves to get out of it. Everybody does. Definitely. Um, and after just transitioning to Ryan Trey's um, a 64 East, East Saga album, and this new project from the St. Louis rapper, producer, and singer is, you know, a very smooth album that showcases Trey's commitment to uh, honing his craft. You know, there's also um, a number of big name producers behind the boards with Boy Wanda, Vinyls, uh, Jahan Sweat, and OG Parker. And in addition to that, he has a high profile guest appearance from, from Bryson Tiller and the track Nowhere to Run. But what were your thoughts on this project and just, you know, the moody type of sounds that he explores and, and what his future could look like. Another guy I didn't know anything about. <laughs> Man, I, I I keep picking artists that you just don't. <laughs> well, that's a good thing, bro. I mean, yeah. I think that's that's what you're supposed to supposed to do. You're supposed to yeah, get definitely. out your, your comfort zone with the music. But okay, um, Ryan Trey, this this album was very interesting to me. Um, I think mm-hmm. he kind of. I don't know. I don't want to say the wrong thing because I haven't listened to his music prior to this album, but I feel like he was playing a little bit. If that makes sense. I think he's better mm. than this album. Wow. Don't get me wrong. He so he felt as though he settled? I think so. I think he has, like, because wow. just listening to him, because he had, he checks boxes. When it comes to... Definitely checks the box. Yeah, exactly. I feel like he left some on the table. Don't get me wrong. Pressure, fire. Rolling, fire. Change of plans, fire. Nowhere to run. was was straight. Bryson Tillum... I'm not... What is up with him and features, man? He's been kind of like slipping on me. I don't understand. Bryson ain't Bryson. I don't know what's going on. I think what it was with Bryson... Bryson was up there, right? Huh? He was. He was up there. Album. Everybody loves the album. He had some follies with some with the singles he dropped. The only one that was great was Let Me Explain. You used to come to me another. That was a good one. Yeah, that was a good one. But he had a lot of follies. So when he dropped, I mean, he's still getting streams, but he did prepare for the peak. He been doing music for a while too. He didn't. He didn't prepare for the peak. He didn't prepare for the drop off. And then he explained this stuff in his album or whatever you want to call it, his EP album, the second one. But it's still we we're not rocking with Bryson Tiller like that. Not for real. I'm not rocking with him like that. 
I listen to Sorrows. That's the only song I listen to off the album. And sometimes the, the song with Drake. That wasn't really nothing to me. But Sorrows, I really like. Mm-hmm. But anywho, yeah, I think this one, I think he left some stuff on the table. Because, uh, yeah, that guy, yeah, yeah, yeah. He's, he sounds like he's been doing music for a while, too, Ryan Trey. And he finally... He really does. It doesn't even feel like this is like a new thing. I, I mean, I, I, obviously, like when, you're, when you're putting your music out, it, you, you feel that like just original and just upstart sound. But for him, it, he does sound more seasoned than a new artist actually would. Yes. And he hasn't been... I don't, I don't know his background. I haven't looked into him. I just listened to the album. I was like, oh, he's, he's good. He's really good. But I feel like he left a lot of stuff on the table. Like a lot of melodies he could have switched up. Um, it's certain things just like I'm nitpicking at this point because when you hear a great body of work, you'd be like, Oh wow, this could have been even better. But yeah, that that leaves room for improvement for this the next joint he drops, and I think he's gonna go even bonkers. He's gonna go even higher than this. Yeah, I think he he has that 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 the good balance of R and B and um hip hop. I think well not R and B hip hop, but R and B and rap. Yeah, it's more of a melodic sound that that that, that like he, that he's really got with the, with a lot of these tracks. Um, and, and, and before we get to our last album, there was uh, an announcement: Summer Walker is going to drop her um, second album, November fifth. Still over it. Also, Silk Sonic is is releasing their new album, November twelfth. In terms of some of the new albums that are um, coming up in the in, in the in the next months, like which ones are you kind of looking forward to the most? And even artists that that we may have not heard yet like a substantial artist that we haven't heard yet that you kind of want to see before the end of the year. Yeah, I'm waiting for Drake's Farewell Tour. Mm, farewell Tour. Farewell album. Drake's about to hang it up. But no. He is. He's about to hang it up. And, and, and by the way, by the way, guys, album seven, that's about to be it. Like, like he's getting close to like, hey, I've done it all. Yeah. I've done enough. There's nothing left <laughs> for me to prove. Just to, just to let you guys know. <laughs> he's going to make Thomas music. I'm just waiting for the next album and then him saying... All right, y'all. That's it. But no, I'm waiting for the Silk Sonic. I'm just, I'm interested what they can do. And yes. man, Anderson packing is so, man, he's so versatile, bro. The guy, man, that's what I want to be as an artist. To be completely wow. honest with you, um, when it's a, I used to be on Anderson for like a while. Like I was, when I was in college in my undergrad, like I used to listen to him all mm-hmm. the time. I'm like, yo, he has bars. He's a lyricist. He's dope mm-hmm. with live bands. He played every instrument. He can go through different genres of music. It's insane how talented the dude is, bro. And it's he's crazy. finally getting his just. So he's at the peak right now. He's at his peak. And he's smart with teaming up with Bruno. I don't know who's with it, but he's smart with teaming up with Bruno Mars. He's teamed up with um, uh, Corday. I won't say uh, his, his former name. Uh, <laughs> uh, sure. was it YBN or NCS or yeah, YBN. Uh, something like YBN. that? NCIS uh, Corday. <laughs> NCIS. <laughs> NCIS Corday, Corday. seven o'clock. <laughs> He's teamed up with a lot of artists, man. He he goes to different ranges of the genre, bro. That's what artists I want to like. If I could be any artist and be as man. versatile, it's that's a statement. Yeah, that's bro, a statement in itself. And he can sing too. Like he on he he got mm-hmm. his own raspiness. But it sounds yes. good, like man. The raspiness is contained. It's, it's, it's not. It's not all over the place. It's, uh, yeah. yeah, he's man. He's 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 legit, and he gets a lot of praise too. I forgot what um old school artist said. Yeah, he's he's um. It was out of um. 
not, it was Shaka Khan. Mm. Shaka Khan said she, she was in an interview and she was like, um, they asked her what like new artists would you like to, to work with? It was uh it was a comedian asking her this, and she was like, you know what? I think Anderson Anderson Pack, he was like, he has he has the it. He's is, is a couple artists that I really, really like, but he got it. And that's mm. Shaka Khan, Shaka Khan, baby. Yes, she has sold her royalties for like 50 mil. Not her royalties, but her what's going on 50 million. So Shaka Khan is Shaka Khan. So if you get a praise, praise, exactly, I praise from the old the old heads who's been successful mm-hmm. in music and seen people go high, drop, whatever. But that's dope. But Anderson Pac Man, I'm I'm looking forward to his another solo album, as well as because when you get Q Tip to rock with you, and that that song was fire. Goodness. Yes. And then you get Andre 3000 to rock with you. Come on, mm. there has to be something to tell you this guy is this innocent is that guy, bro. And that song was fire too. Yeah. His intros be fire too. Nobody bags anymore. Even the song Trippy with J. Cole. Yes. Like, like that was one of like my favorite songs of the year. Like that I, I didn't even know that, that that was a duo I needed to hear and, and it was an amazing track. Man, he has a way, man. He has, man, him, and when he gets with Free, free Nationals, too, oh, man, they make, mm-hmm. they make love to the music. They, they can't go wrong. Man, it's, <laughs> I'm telling you, man, I'm a big fan of Anderson. If I ever get to meet him, man, and get a song with him, bro, I would freak out. Listeners, if, if there's an album, if, if, if there's a review you need to, like, be, you know, listen to very closely just to hear Savon's thoughts, it's the Silk Sonic album. That's the one he's most excited for. Um, That's the one he's most excited for. I got for. everything else. I got. I'm not even talking about Donda. <laughs> yeah. we, we, got, <laughs> we got CLB. It was good. I said, guys, guys, listeners, any Kanye fans out there, I liked it. Savon didn't like it, but I liked yeah, it. I didn't get past the sixth song. I, and we got Isaiah Rashad. Yes. We got J. Cole. J. Cole dropped this mm-hmm. year. There's a bunch of people dropped. Got Ben Staples. Got Snow Allegra. Got her. Got her album. Like, mm-hmm. we've been spoiled this year. Got, uh, and another artist, uh, 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 one of our favorite albums, Sinead Harnett. Ready is always too late. Oh, ah, yeah, yeah, that's a good one too. That was one of our favorite albums that they like was ha- happening back in May, and that feels so yeah. long ago. <laughs> it, it does feel long ago. We're already October, bro. The year was over. <laughs> that's over. And um, who else? Who is somebody else dropped that we we were, oh Lucky Day is about to drop. That's another guy oh, I like. Yeah. He, he's actually singing with uh, Earth Wind and Fire. That's really dope. Oh and he's from goodness. New Orleans, and that's big for him because like you know. Lucky Day um, is, is supposed to drop here shortly. There's another artist I'm looking forward to. SZA. That's what I'm oh, looking forward to. Oh, yeah, yeah. SZA. SZA, okay. <laughs> yes. Silk Sonic, SZA, and Summer Walker. I knew, look. That's all I need. See? That's all I need. I knew that's all I need the rest of the year. Wellington we were missing. But yeah, those three. Yeah, that's I, all I, I need the rest of the year. Summer. Please, 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 Summer. Please. I'm looking forward to Summer's please album. Please go Come back. on, return please. back to your core please. sound. Return back to your core sound. Cause I still be dropping. I be singing my heart out, boy. Feels like CPR. Like I be singing my heart out, bro. But come uh, on, Summer, come through, come through, come, come through. through with that shit. Let me be you too, so I can hug you. I just want to love on you, girl. Oh man, so, so Summer's gonna block us if she ever hears these two creeps. Hey, I think that's a compliment. You know who we are. You blocked us. Oh, I appreciate. Come you. on. Oh, full scope. You blocked us. <laughs> we gonna find you though. Okay, that's creepy. 
Oh man, but 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 now getting into our, to our last album review um, with Andy Minow's Neverland Two, and you know this was a highly anticipated album that was you know originally supposed to drop in September, and you know with this album it's narrated by Andy's mother um, from an interview she did before she passed, and the music contained here you know j- just makes you feel a mix of emotions as this is an album that tells a story. Andy's really um, detailing the story of of him holding on to his inner child and, and dealing with the realities that you know he's been facing as a man and. Um, Songs like You Know the Drill, Working On It, Priorities were kind of mm-hmm. like some of my like top three highlights um, from this album. And I, and, I, and I feel like even a song like Trying, where he's just very vulnerable and transparent as Andy mm-hmm. at his best. But um, kind of like just what were your thoughts on um, a very nuanced story and that he told throughout this album and, and some of your favorite tracks? Andy, Andy is my, he's in my top 10. Andy is. Yes, I'm, mine too. I'm, I love Andy's <laughs> transparency. And I always say this. Andy is so has been so transparent before his when his mom got sick, when he thought that she was gonna pass, and then when she passed afterwards, like he's been so transparent. And I think that's really we take that for granted for for most artists because a lot of people don't talk about those things in their music. A lot of people don't talk about that. They don't want people to know about those things. But if you had transparent, I think he's going through the healing process by talking about it and putting it into his music. And Andy always comes with the bars. Andy always comes with the energy. His song concepts is really dope. Um, I think his features, I think the Chandler Moore song really was really, 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 really was dope. I'm a big Chandler Moore fan. Yeah, Chandler Moore is boy, and he doesn't run. He doesn't do all this extravagant things when he sings, but he has that, you know, passion behind worship and his passion behind the music when he sings. Because you listen to him, he doesn't run. He doesn't. He reminds me of uh, Fred Hammond. Fred Hammond never runs or do the extra stuff when mm-hmm. he sings, but when he sings, you listen. When you sing, you be like, "That sounds really good." I don't know what it is, but it's it, it, like working on it. I feel like that's a song you can hear like walking through the mall. Like when I heard that, I was like, "Yo, this is a different type of Andy song. Yes. This is different." Yes, and I love that he's <laughs> continuing to grow in music. Andy, bro, Andy has been dope since Neverland One, and then once he was seen mm-hmm. like. And then he changed back to change to Andy Minio, and then he dropped uh, the the track with Fools Go with Shobaraka and all those guys, and then he started getting into his own peak. This what I'm t- This is what I'm talking about. Randy was at a peak. Andy, not Randy. Andy was at a peak. He kind of mm-hmm. dwindled down, but now he knows he's going back up. His music is fire, bro. Yeah, I'm, I have nothing bad to say about Andy. This whole album. I don't have fire. any complaints about this yeah, album. This was solid, solid yeah, project. This- Andy, where are you? I love what he uses that, bro. Andy, where are you? I love that. Yeah, man. And, and that's the thing, like he, he, the marketing that he has behind these these projects um, is, is always solid. Like, um, and I and I look back, think back to some of like my favorite albums of his, like Uncomfortable mm-hmm. is up there. Um, the Air on the Sword. Yes. Um, it, it's just there are just so many. Like, is there like are there some albums that from his that you go back and even the the um Magic and Bird like like the, the compilation of one he did with, with Wordplay was very good. Like, are are there some albums that you kind of go back and li- listen to the most from him? Ooh, um, for sure, Neverland. Um, because mm-hmm. <laughs> I love to like listen to Bazano's Wallet. Bazano <laughs> <laughs> is so good. <laughs> I might turn around and boot around my neck. I don't do what you do, son. <laughs> 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 like a two brothers now, watch, boy. <laughs> yeah. Man, Andy is dead. Um, Neverland, of course, uncomfortable. Work in progress. Mm-hmm. I, I, 
Oh, I yeah. like it's like man, it's some of those songs are really dope, are really dope. But for sure, because um, th- that's the one where he has like podcast mm-hmm. interludes, right? Mm-hmm. Like like yeah, yeah, that was smart. Yeah, uncomfortable Neverland. I always listen to the Arrow and the Sword, bro. Those were mm-hmm. yeah, that I listen to songs like Anxiety, yeah. Clarity, just amazing. And then um, Friends um, from the Sword, bro. Oh, none of my business. None of, oh. Oof. Yeah, that's none of oh my goodness. <laughs> no, um, I like uh, crazy. Shame is another good one. Oh, shame was good one. Shame was good one. I like yeah. crazy. Um, oh, would you still be good to me? Oh no, not that one. Um, no, it's crazy. It's not. It's not my mom. Yeah, that, that, that is crazy. And then I go crazy, yeah. And then that hook, and then him going to like, like settle, like rapping, and going to the melody. Yeah, that was I think crazy was really good. Oh, donuts, the one with Christian Gray. That was oh yeah, I was yeah, about. yeah. Christian, hey yeah. man, Christian Gray. I didn't know he was he was still rapping before I when I first. Saw the show. I didn't even know that either. <laughs> Christian Gray, that sounds familiar. He's still making music. <laughs> but nah, yeah, Andy got got a good uh, catalog of music. The round of applause for this project. Round of applause hey, for this project. This, this was this was fire. What's that? No, this was fire. Uh, this was fire. What's his name? Nor uh, Norier. Uh, what his name is? Oh, Noriega. I will make a hey, bar, bro. And by the way, Nori lied about the Drake interview. He said he didn't get Drake. He lied. Oh. <laughs> I was like, how can you lie about yeah, that? Bro. I know it's hard to get a Drake interview, but you don't have to yes, lie. Yes, bro. You don't have to lie, bro. Like, he gonna put it's you hard. in a song. It's hard to get a Drake. He rarely, he rarely gets interviews anyway. <laughs> hey, look, Drake will put him in a song. Everybody want to interview with me, Noriega. <laughs> Yo, come on. Even Joe Budden couldn't get the Drake no. interview. When the podcast broke up, Drake said, no worry, no mall, no me. <laughs> Drake don't do it. it take a lot. I'm surprised he did the uh the smack thing. Him going to the battle rap, but he loves battle rap though. He's been doing that for a while. Yeah, he loves so, that. Yeah. Hey, full scope. The doors are always open. Hey, hey, champagne pop. Oh my god. Yo, willing to say So good to be from Boy, that would change our lives. But we're going to take a quick break and we'll be right back with our Jackie Brown review. Welcome back to the show. And now we're getting into our Jackie Brown review. And to start with the overview, Jackie Brown is a 1997 crime film written and directed by Quentin Tarantino and starring Pam Greer in the title role. Um, this film is an, an adaptation of Elmore Leonard's 1992 uh, novel, Rum Punch. It is the only feature length that um, Tarantino has adopted from a previous work. It was Tarantino's third directorial effort following Reservoir Dogs and Pulp Fiction. Um, the film pays homage to 1970s black exploitation films, particularly the films Coffee and Foxy Brown, both of which also starred Greer in the title roles. Um, the cast also includes Samuel Jackson, Robert Forster, Bridget Fonda, Michael Keaton, Robert De Niro. Uh, it had an 87% rating on Rotten Tomatoes, um, also a budget of $12 million and brought in $74.7 million in the box office. Greer and Jackson were nominated for Golden Globe Awards. Foster was on, nominated for an Academy Awards for Best Supporting Actor and was selected by Empire Magazine. Uh, this, this was selected by Empire Magazine as one of the 500 greatest movies of all time. Um, but what are your thoughts on a film where, you know, it was an effective star vehicle for Pam Greer while still offering the usual wit and charm that Tarantino films come with? Because to me, this is, this is a film that it, it goes under the radar of, of some of Tarantino's best. I do think this is 
this is a, a top five Quentin Tarantino for me. And I, and I feel as though it doesn't get talked about, about enough, but kind of like, or, or some of your initial thoughts of it. Yeah, I think it's definitely underrated, man. You look at this class yeah. and crew, I mean, cast, yeah, cast and crew, sorry. Um, you look at <laughs> who he has in a Samuel Jackson, Brian Greer, Robert Forrester, you have Robert mm-hmm. De Niro, you have all these Michael guys, Keaton. Michael Keaton. Why is this not talked about enough? I love it. Should, it should be talked about so much more. Yes, especially when you have Foxy Brown, mm-hmm. Brian Greer as this leading role. I love the storyline. Flight attendant who has a pass. She gets trapped by um, the FBI to come and inform it. Now she got to figure out to not get killed. And it's so, yeah, it's a, a woman's lead role who she kills it. Kills it. She kills it's it. It's flawless. Flawless role. This was up her alley. This is one of her strong points. She killed it. It's not talked about enough. I love the storyline. Woman lead role. Flight attendant. Now, if it would have been like something else, I'd be like, okay, whatever. But a flight attendant, <laughs> yeah. you have access to so much smuggling, flight attendant. She has pat like it just makes sense because you, you're flight. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I don't want to get right, you know, go down the rabbit hole. But I think I love the storyline. I love because you know, growing up, you see Foxy Brown like who's mm. that lady? Man. Who's that lady? Gets your attention. <laughs> <laughs> yes, indeed, indeed. <laughs> but yeah, yeah man, to say the least. <laughs> Uh, um, but, but to start off with our first topic from one to four stars, what would you give it? Um, this, this is definitely a four star film yeah. to me as it just meticulously, it was meticulously, uh, meticulously crafted and Tarantino stretches time to, to new extremes while, you know, the audience can still enjoy the pleasure of the character's company. But, um, to you from one to four stars, uh, what would be your particular rating? I think it's four stars because of Samuel Jackson's ponytail. Um, <laughs> I'm getting there because I literally like recently watched this Wednesday night and I'm just getting the image all over again. First they give him a wrong wig and Pulp Fiction and then they give him Back to back, Savon. Back to back. Tarantino says, I'm going to bring you on again. You know what? The other time was a mistake, but this is going to be on purpose. Here we go. You want a ponytail? I got you a ponytail. But anyway, I I mean, yeah. Four stars across the board. Storyline from the actors, from Tarantino, the director, him shooting in different ways. I love how he shoots movies. Four stars yes. across the board. It's always good when Tarantino, how, how he shoots is just always just so different. Yes, for sure. And I, I forgot the style of it, but it's, hey, I need to keep forgetting the style of where he shoots. It's, it's, it's outdated. No one does that anymore, but he keeps it alive. Mm-hmm. It's like, you know, vintage or not. Yeah, vintage. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and not transitioning to a favorite character. Um, for, for me, it was Ordell as this is a different character who still has memorable monologues compared to a role like Jules in Pulp Fiction. Because uh, you know, Jules, it's not as it's it's not as contained, but but Ordell has a different way of going about the monologues that kind of like builds up gradually, and and and, it, and it's and it's not as um as assertive in some some ways of the last role that 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 uh that we saw with Jules. But overall, you know, he just feels like the soul of the movie, and even Samuel Jackson said this is one of the, his favorite characters that he's ever played. Um, but to you, kind of like, who was your favorite character? For sure, Jackie Brown. Um, mm. just. <laughs> Just the way she handled herself, just, you know, doing what she has to do, being smart about things, man. Um, I, I really like because Pam Greer played the role, and I think she played it to a T from her, you know, finessing people, finessing the FBI, finessing, just finessing everybody. I think it was a... It takes some finesse. It takes some finesse. Ah, uh, see, look at that. This, this is what that song was about. This song was dedicated. I'm joking. Finesse. <laughs> I, 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 you know what? I know this is off track. I've been wanting to see Drake's face, but he'd be like... 
Finesse. <laughs> like, what's your facial expression when you do that? It got it has to be dumb. Yes. I wonder like what 40 or 40 and Noel's faces. <laughs> like, bro, are they just are they just stoic having no one? <laughs> right. They're like, yeah, we're kinda used to it, but you have to keep doing it, bro. Like, finesse. Like, what is your what is your facial expression at this moment of time in this video? Yo, um, but but now getting into most memorable scenes. Um, I had Ordell convincing Beaumont to get in the trunk of his car to repay um his favor of bailing him out of jail. Also, Jackie turning the table on Ordell and making some demands of her own. Uh, Max coming over to Jackie's place to pick up his gun. Uh, the, the, one of the most pivotal scenes, the fitting room exchange scene, um, you know, where Jackie makes the money exchange with Melanie in the department store dressing room. Mm-hmm. Also, Melanie pro- provoking Lewis, uh, Ray's interrogation scene where Ray questions Jackie about the, the botched money exchange. And then Ordell asking the whereabouts of, of uh, Melanie and Lewis, explaining that, that he shot her twice. Um, so you kind of like, what were some of your overall memorable scenes? That was, you, you picked it right off the head when she was in the interrogation room. Like that was, that was a pivotal scene for me. Um, yeah. and then you have, it, we forgot about somebody though, bro. Chris Tucker was in this. Oh my goodness. That's the, oh gosh. Uh, 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 D-Bow He wasn't was in it long, but still, but he wasn't like, in it. Yeah. He wasn't in it long, but you just look at how many people you have. Tom Lish, AK, Debo, Chris Tucker, um, uh, 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 I was another guy here. I was just like looking at the list of people. I was like, Chris Tucker, Tarantino, how'd you do it? How'd, how'd you how'd you get all these people in one film? He got them from cheap too, probably. Exactly. <laughs> but no, that was my favorite uh, favorite scene. And then um, always the dialogue with uh, um, Ordell Robbie and um, um, excuse me, uh, what's what's uh. His character. Oh, uh, Lewis. The Lewis, Lewis character. Yeah, yeah the, the dialogue they had, especially when they were sitting in a white chair. This was a different role for Robert De Niro. <laughs> yeah, it was a, not even a supporting role. It was like, a, <laughs> it was a, a role. It was like what he played in Goodfellas. Yeah. He didn't have a big, big role in Goodfellas. It was it was like a, a, a supporting, supporting, supporting. But he was more memorable in Goodfellas than in this film. Yeah, especially with the you know when he was in the uh, he was super happy for Westcom to get made, and then he finally yeah. got killed. That was a that was a dope scene. But yeah, I mean, her and interrogation was, was a really good scene. Definitely. Uh, and and, and listening to most memorable quotes, um, I had um, half a million dollars will, will always be missed. Um, whatever you're into, you seem to be get, getting away with. So more power to you. Um, now you want me to speculate on what you do, and and finally, I don't have to know what I'm doing just as long as as you know. Um, were there kind of any quotes in particular that that, that kind of um, just just were standouts for you in this film? Um, <laughs> when Ordell was talking to Baymark, bro, he was like, I, "Look, I hate to be the kind of brother that does a brother a favor, then bail takes a brother up for a favor in return." But I'm afraid. Yeah. <laughs> I have to do that kind of brother. He said, "What you mean? I need a favor, brother." <laughs> Man, I cannot. I cannot. Every time they write um, lies for Samuel Jackson, bro, I just know it's going to be goaded, bro. It's going to be goaded every time. (laughs) And you can just hear, well, I I, I, I hate to be the brother, man. Because it's like, it's just like, you mannerisms, how you say it. You know how much he adds into the quote? (laughs) Bro, like. 
There needs to be an acting class just on Samuel Jackson adding, just adding more to any quote that he's given. He does a master class. He does an acting so class. Um, it's so good. Yeah, man. That was, that was, like, he has a bunch of those, but just fresh for time, like, that was the one of the funny awards. I hate to be mm-hmm. the brother. And I'm saying brother, but he says the other word. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> but it's funny <laughs> if you say the other word. I need a baby. Yeah. <laughs> but anyway, yeah, yeah, that was, that was a... <laughs> Yo, um, but but now getting into what did you like the most about the storyline, and, and I think like just with any Tarantino film, how the dialogue is displayed is just something that like really stood out to me in this one. There's so many conversations we see with Jackie and even Max and, and Ordell that are just pivotal because it's it, with every Tarantino film, it's mostly about the dialogue that's central to yeah. the, to the theme more than the actual like plot of the movie sometimes. But to you, kind of like what particular element of the storyline did you like the most? Ooh, um, that it was a woman lead role mm-hmm. and a big role and she 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 really she really delivered and I, I love the way that Tarantino utilizes supporting actors to bring out the storyline even more. You look at every film that he's done, he's always brought he, he knows how to bring A listers, B listers, C listers together. Doesn't matter how big or small the role is, and everybody jails, and it just works. You look at Django, you look at <laughs> I love and hate Django. I hate it yeah, so funny. It's a love hate relationship. Yes, bro, but it's so funny, bro. Oh my gosh. You look at Pulp Fiction. Yeah. <laughs> you look at all these roles that have like big Kill time. Bill. Kill Bill, A listers in that A listers in there. You have some B listers. But everybody comes together and play a role so well. They know how to pick mm-hmm. the, the right people. And I love that of Tarantino movies. Sometimes and you look at um the last one he had with uh Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Once Upon a Time with yeah, and Brad, Brad Pitt. Pitt and it has some other people in there too. Um um um, Mar- um Margie, whatever her name is. Uh, Margot Robbie. Margot yeah. Robbie and some other people that some other A listers in there too that had like small roles. Um, especially the blind guy, he's been, I forgot his name, but he's been playing roles for a long, long time. Um, mm-hmm. he played in this boxing movie that my dad really loved, but I can't, uh, remember the name anymore, but he's been acting for a while. He's, he used to be an A-list, now he's a B-list. But he, my point is, I love how he utilizes the supporting actors to bring it and bring the storyline out even more, because if you had just any other regular actor in a role for Samuel Jackson role, or even Robert De Niro's role, or even, you know, it wouldn't be the same, but you get guys mm-hmm. to buy in on what you're trying to do, and they bring it out even more. And I think that's what I love about the storyline. And then it had the whatever you had the action, it had the humor because <laughs> Samuel Jackson you're gonna have the humor. Oh, um, and it had the <laughs> action, the humor, and it had the storyline was really good. Just you know, like I always reiterate, having a flight attendant be a <laughs> a past smuggler or drug person, and then just yeah, it just it just flowed. Hey. Yeah, and that's and that's another thing because I feel as though this Pam Grier was the perfect person to to play this role. Like, do you mm-hmm. feel as though with 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 them, like like with what Tarantino did in this election process, you think do you think it was one of those roles where like he knew he had like for this could be a great film and just one of his best ever, which I which I definitely think it is. Do you think it was one of those things where he knew like if, if I'm if this is gonna be an amazing movie that's gonna be talked about for years, mm-hmm. we have to make sure Jackie Brown like is the is the right person that's casted into it. Yeah, when you do a, a, a woman's lead role, she has to be a bad A. She has mm-hmm. to. And her yeah. previous work has to show she's a bad A. So 
when, when you get Pram Greer to play a role like this, there's what, like I said before, this is right up her alley. Foxy Brown was similar to this, um, similar to the role, similar to just her having that that aura, having that that baddie background, and being able to portray that in the movie, in the film. You put anybody else at, as a, the lead lead role, and she wasn't like Pam Greer, then it would have never worked, even with the supporting actors. And now people are distracted, like, why did they give her the starter role? Like, why did they give Samuel Jackson? But you don't say that in this film because she did such never. a job. Yeah. So that's the difference. You have to make sure that the, if it's a woman's role, if it's a lead woman's role, she has to be it. Like, energy, uh, oh, Angelie, An- Angelie, 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 Jolie, bad, bad. Ain't. She can she can stand out on her own lead roles. Um, Angela Bassett, uh, yes. uh, Viola oh. Davis, women like that are have resumes that tell you they bad A's. And they mm-hmm. can portray and, and have a lead role. But if they're not like that, they're not built like that, then the film is not going to work. So kudos Absolutely. to him. Kudos to whoever got Pam Grid to sign on and, and be into this film. Absolutely. And now getting to our last topic 10 years from now, um, do you still think this will be a watchful, intriguing film? Um, I, I definitely think it will because, you know, as we've just mentioned, Pam Greer, that the role that she that she delivers is just exceptional. You have just the, the way the cast just seamlessly flows together and how there's just there's just so much nuance and, and just fluidity and how this storyline is, is is um is played out is just thoroughly. It's, it's well done and just so exceptional with how Tarantino can can flawlessly do this movie after movie. Um, what? To you, like, what do you think will continue to make this an, uh, an intriguing movie a decade from now? And also, do you, it, 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 kind of a two-part question, also, do you feel as though this film, following a film like Pulp Fiction, may be another reason why it, it's it's kind of underrated and not talked about as much as the other ones? So, I think it's definitely watchable after it's been more than 10 years already. Yeah. I think you look at... Came out the year I was born. Right. <laughs> <laughs> right. You look at Pam Grilly in a role, you look at I think it had definitely has some similarities to Pulp Fiction. So I'm just mix these two questions together. I think yeah. it didn't, it has similarities to Pulp Fiction in a way. You look at the character that Timmy O. Jackson played in Pulp Fiction, the character that he played now is similar, has some similarities, mm-hmm. and then they just switched out John Travolta for Robert De Niro. So it had some similarities. It was similar to the movie before, and then people. It's a, don't get me wrong; it's still a good film. Once you have Pulp Fiction, who's at this top tier level. And then you get a film that's similar to that. It's not going to have the same, you know, accolades. Not going to have effect. the same effect as it as its, you know, counterpart in Pulp Fiction. But I do think it's definitely watchable ten years from now, thirty years from now, sixty years from now. It's from the cast. the end of time. Yeah, end of time. Top five, like you said. So good. Um, well, that wraps it up for tonight. I'm Hill Swinton Burns, along with my counterpart Savon Morris. This has been Full Scope. See you later.